I'm Andy Castroneves, and you need more front wings. Hello and welcome to another More Front Wing podcast. I'm Steph Walcraft, joined as always, or mostly always, but definitely this week by my co-editor Paul Dalby. And a little bit later on, we're very excited to bring to you again to the podcast, uh, Joseph Newgarden, the, the biggest mover and shaker from the streets of St. Petersburg. I believe he started 22nd and ended up 9th or something like that. That Pretty is big correct. Moves. Yeah. Pretty big moves for that little team. So uh, definitely looking forward to hearing from him a little bit later on and learning more about what it was that made that weekend a success for him and for that team and what they're expecting moving forward. But before we get to that, I think it's about time that we round up the first weekend, the first race weekend of the season. And it was one that I was on site for. So it was um, very exciting to be back down there. I was uh, down there for the first time since 2010. And uh, it's amazing what uh, what changes and what stays the same. But we can get into that sort of stuff a little bit later on. I think the obvious big story out of the weekend was uh, the win from Will Power. And do we expect this to be uh, the beginning of a trounce that should carry on for the rest of the year or uh, what, what are we thinking what are we seeing out of that paul well i think if there was any question over the previous uh call it what year and a half over whether or not will power was going to adjust to the dw12 or not i would say certainly the last uh what, let's say third of last season and the start of this season has wiped any of those fears away uh, he seems back on form he seems uh, seems to have uh, abandoned whatever mindset he had in the first half of last year of of trying to to play cautious. He just seems like he's back to his old form of throwing caution through the wind, and he's just I think he's ready to pound the field. He's just, he looks pretty much domi- his old dominant ways again. I think that's about the the same assessment that I had. He that's uh, this he looks like he hasn't missed a beat from Fontana. Do you remember how passionate he seemed in the in post race after winning Fontana, as though he just had this massive monkey off his back, mm-hmm. and uh, he just looks to be carrying that on, as though there were not six months in between with this uh, with this bizarre um, off season. Um, encapsulating momentum that's carrying forward. So let's see if he's able to take that with him to Long Beach. He is a two-time winner there, once in Champ, champ Car and once in uh, IndyCar Racing. So it will be very interesting to see uh, how that carries on. But I mean, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Let's continue to run down the weekend at St. Petersburg. The uh, the next biggest story, of course, being the restart, capital T, capital R, as uh, <laughs> it has become known. Um I really, it was hard for me to see on site, so I, I've seen some replays, and, and of course we all know what happened from sort of further down with Marco Andretti and, and uh, Jack Hawksworth, very disappointing to see him get caught up in that after the strong opening that he had. Um, it's, I kind of see both sides of the argument. Um I don't want to talk. It seems as though these days I find an excuse to bring up my editor at the Toronto Star every week. But he he (laughs) maintains a blog at wheels.ca. His name is Norris McDonald. He's been around for a very, very, very long time. (laughs) And um, he made a really good point in I mean, he put his tinfoil hat on a little bit and and um, and, you know, we'll, we'll forgive him for that. But his point was, is a series really going to penalize the driver of the the Verizon car? on the weekend of the uh, opening race for the Verizon IndyCar series. And I thought it was an interesting way to look at it because I hadn't really thought of it that way. Um, but, I mean, there's, there's definitely something that 
although Derek Walker said he felt that it was above board, there was something to take a very close look at there. And so I can, I can sort of see both sides of the situation and, and understand where the conspiracy theories are coming from. I believe Will when he said he didn't break, uh, but he did say very overtly that he did lift and in, in an engine with this level of power lifting in first gear kind of is a little bit like breaking. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, I, on the other side of the coin, uh, some of the other competitors speaking post race were, you know, fairly quick to admit that they have been guilty of similar looking maneuvers and, and various points in their own history. I didn't really want to hold a fire to will, so to speak. What did you think when you saw it on TV, Paul? As I went back and watched the replay, I did, I don't see anything that would have been uh, infraction worthy to be quite honest if if you just watch his speed coming out of the out of the last turn and look at it relative to what he's going by it looked to me like he held a fairly constant speed now when they're going you know they're they're still going what 70 miles an hour somewhere in that ballpark so it's hard to tell if they slow from 72 to 68 so i mean you Certainly, I don't have access to the telemetry, but it doesn't look to me like there was a brake check there. It didn't look like he massively slowed down. I think it was a case of, A, everyone's used to seeing the leader come out of the final turn and just floor it. So you're used to seeing the acceleration, and when they maintain that constant speed, it looks like they're decelerating. And B, well, but I th- that's what the drivers were told that they were going to do. No, 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 no. The drivers, the-, were, the drivers were told that they were not going to supposed to restart until they got to the restart zone, which was way, way further uh, than than what we would typically see. It was all the way past the f- start of the, the No, we're the saying the wall. same thing. We're saying – I'm saying that Will was going the speed that it was being said all weekend long was going to be maintained in that zone. Yes, yes, correct. Uh-huh. We are yeah. saying – uh-huh. Right. So I think we're used to seeing – the leader accelerate much earlier. And when we don't see that, it looks like he's decelerating. And I think everyone else was just a little bit, uh, uh, gas happy, I guess, if you will, at the back of the field, you know, they were trying to get a run on whoever was in front of them coming out of that final turn. You know, they, they see, uh, they see red in their eyes and they want to go. And lo and behold, the rest of the field in front is still right there. Uh, they were packed up so tightly. There just wasn't really room for anyone to move uh, and make that response. And so I, th- I think it was people at the back of the field getting a little jumpy, uh, and and maybe just a, a new uh, a new procedure that nobody was really quite sure of how it was going to play out, how the leader was really going to ha- handle it. And I think it caught the rookie out, to be quite honest. Well, I don't. Again, this the procedure that they followed was exactly what IndyCar was saying all weekend long mm-hmm. it was going to be. Yeah. And they had lots of time to get used to the idea. I think the, the only thing that could have caught anybody out was that maybe the speed that Will was doing was a little or felt a little slower than what they were expecting. I don't know. It's, it's the only explanation I can come up with because I, Johnny Rutherford in the pace car did exactly what he was told to do. And, and maintain the speed that he was told to maintain and pulled off exactly when he was told to pull off, which was as late as possible to keep the field as slowed down as possible going into that zone. And I don't know if the drivers were given a number in the driver's meeting that said, we're going to maintain 65 miles an hour or some number. 
until the leader hits that cone. And when the leader hits that go zone, they're free to go as soon as they hit it or before they hit the next one. If they don't do it by then, the second place guy has the, the uh, opportunity to jump. I don't know if that number was discussed, or, so I don't know if, if maybe Will was given discretion to choose the speed he wanted to. Um, well, I can but, tell you that uh, having studied all of the paperwork that came out during St. Petersburg weekend, there wasn't anything that made it as far as the media in terms of the defined speed. Whether mm-hmm. it was discussed in the driver's meeting is a different matter. But right. So yeah. I, I think it was just a matter of some guys getting a little trigger happy in the back, and uh, they lost it. Which unfortunately took, well, ended okay. a, a great weekend for Jack Hawksworth. Yeah, um, and not terribly bad for Marco either. And uh, you know, the ensuing melee also took out Mike Conway, who had been having an extremely strong outing um, with that. The uh, his first outing with uh, Ed Carpenter Racing as the as the road and street course specialist in that in that two pronged effort, and um, he was all the way up to third. Mm-hmm. Before what happened on that second restart um, after what happened in the first one, uh, and that was uh, well. First of all, he missed his communication from his pit to to pit with the group, the lead group in the first place. After the pits reopened in the first yeah. yellow flag period, Ouch. and then in the second one, there was also another miscommunication where he thought he was being waved by by the pace car, but the wave by was actually for Hinchcliffe. And he went by as well, and then got dinged with a with a um, drive through for passing the pace car. I was actually a bit surprised that Scott Goodyear didn't make some kind of a joke or something <laughs> on the broadcast about that one. I thought that was a a sure bet, but no, it was really heartbreaking because I'll tell you, every time I walked by that pit um, all weekend long, that car was in pieces. <laughs> they were throwing everything at that car, and they were absolutely puzzled. And then just during the race, they must have found something. Um, and to have it fall apart on them like that is just heartbreaking. But I, I would definitely be looking for that team to be looking strong through the next three rounds as we head to Indianapolis. Now, I don't know if I just didn't wasn't paying attention well enough or if television didn't really cover it. Did Conway get to third by driving up there, or was he pitch shuffled a little bit his way up there? Uh, I was looking at the lap chart before we started here, and I believe he actually mostly drove his way up there. Uh, I mean, just I'm scanning now for when he was in third. Yeah, he worked his way up there That's pretty, an, pretty solidly. That is an impressive yeah, He ran his – it is. He ran his fastest lap of the race about halfway through, um, and he had a couple of laps there where he passed more than one car in a lap as well. So he was a, he was a bit of a monster from the look of things from uh, just this – this easy stat sheet looking at here that you can find, by the way, in the uh, the Grand Prix of St. Petersburg event summary, which is uh, now almost complete. I think the only thing we're missing is um, the Firestone Pit Performance Award, and the results of that are not coming out until sometime this week. So we'll incorporate the winner of the, the team that wins the award at St. Petersburg into the event summary for Long Beach when it becomes available um, that the event summary for Long Beach, which will be posted today as of when you're listening to this podcast, later on today, which is Tuesday. So we're keeping on top of things for you. Anyhow, to answer your question, yes, Conway worked his way up, and he did so with gusto. So that, that look that's looking more like a really, really great decision by the day, but I don't think anybody was really doubting that, putting Conway in that seat for the Road and Street courses? No, I don't I don't think so. He's he's definitely shown he knows how to turn left and right and uh, 
do it very, very well. Mm-hmm. We touched on Jack Hawksworth as well, um, having a strong outing. I think going into St. Petersburg, I think most people were expecting to be talking about Carlos Munoz more often than not in the in the rookie of the year sphere. But I'll tell you, Jack looked good up until that, that incident on the race turn. Yeah, by the time the race came along, he looked pretty good. Now he's... Um, uh, I mean, he looked great in, in practice and qualifying, too. So really, as you said, I think a lot of people expected Munoz to be uh, very th- the leader of the, the rookies. But really, he had a fairly uneventful weekend. I don't I don't remember him doing anything bad. Don't remember him really doing anything good. Just kind of there, yeah. uh, which yeah. I guess for a rookie, you kind of that's kind of what you want. You're, um, you know, you want consistent, you know, good weekends. Um here and there, but you want to run consistently. And I I think he did that, but yeah, Jack Hawksworth definitely stole the show in terms of the rookie class, if not one of the top stories of the weekend. That said, this was a street course and we have neither hit the road courses nor the ovals yet. And that can completely change the game where this is concerned. So Mm -hmm. we shall see. Speaking of strong performances, we started out the podcast by telling you about Joseph Newgarden, who started 22nd and worked his way up to 9th. And, Paul, you had a chance to catch up with Joseph a little bit earlier today. I did. had a very interesting discussion with Joseph. We discussed the what how his his, his race weekend went, starting you know, with the practice and qualifying, which didn't go well for him, uh, and then kind of getting into the race itself where he, as we had mentioned, he went from 22nd to 9th. Actually, was kind of right in the middle of that that uh, that that, that uh, restart debacle, if you will. And thank, in fact, he even said that he was kind of the beginning of the accordion, if you will. <laughs> uh, so then we we discussed a few other things with Honda, and uh, you know, coming up to Long Beach where he's had some uh, a checkered past, if you will. So uh, yeah, very very interesting interview. Okay, well, let's give that a listen right now, Joseph Newgarden. Welcome back to More Front Wing Podcast. This is co-editor Paul Dalby. Proud to be joined now by the driver of the number 67 uh, Honda Delara for Sarah Fisher Hartman Racing, Joseph Newgarden. Joseph, thanks so much again for joining us tonight. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's just start off with last weekend. Um, Just tell us a little bit about how the the weekend progressed, kind of getting up to the race through practice, maybe a little bit of qualifying, just kind of a little overall how your weekend started out. Well, St. Pete wasn't really a great weekend for us. It was pretty rough, all in all. Um, you know, we've, we've had a really good off-season, I think, at, at Sarah Fisher-Hartman Racing. Um, it's been a lot of change-ups. We've had a lot of different personnel um, go and come from the team, so it's been it's been interesting, you know, kind of getting uh, chilled again for, for the year. But we, we really had a, a good off-season um, with a lot of work that was put in from everyone on the team, from the engineering side, mechanic, mechanic side, ownership side. Um, so there's been a lot going on, and we were, we were pretty high on hopes for, I think, the opener. And it just didn't pan out the way we really wanted to. We had a really rough um, time in practice and had a dismal qualifying session and then kind of turned it around for the for the race day on Sunday. We had a pretty good warm-up, and then we raced well and raced inside the top ten. It's just, you know, overall the weekend was, was, uh, was a tough one to get through. But we got out of there with good points, which is, you know, always key. You know, if you want to have a good championship run, you got to have good points. Thankfully, we were able to kind of sum up the the weekend with a top ten finish, which was pretty good. Now, you mentioned your race. You guys had a great race. You started. You had to start dead last. You started twenty second, which is never any fun. Uh, but you had a phenomenal run all the way through the race. Ended up finishing ninth. 
When you have a run like that during the race, at what point do you know that you're really kind of dialed in and you think, hey, you know what, we're actually going to salvage something pretty good out of this weekend after all? Well, I think I knew, I think we all knew actually we were dialed in in the morning. Um, it was really, uh, it was really just Sunday. Sunday we got, we got a lot of our stuff together and, um, we were clicking a lot more on all cylinders that day. So, um, I think we kind of knew in the morning warm up that it was going to be a better day. It, it just, it just started off better and I think we had found a lot of our issues that we were dealing with and we sorted them all out and, you know, then when you got in the race, it was, you know, you were feeling, I was feeling good about it. I felt good in the race from the start. And, um, you know, certainly once we got going towards the middle of it, I knew we were doing pretty well. I knew we had good pace. Um, and I was actually more surprised than even the morning session of the warm-up because I thought we were we were in pretty good shape. But I, I was more surprised by our, our uh, tire degradation because we were really good on saving our red tires. We, we were really easy on them for some reason. So, um, it ended up working out even better. It's just it's a very hard place to pass, and um, you know certainly it's, it's it's not the easiest place to to make your way up the grid. Um, we had a little help with caution there, and actually ended up pushing us back further once once we had worked our way up. I, I think tenth, and we got knocked back down to thirteenth after the first restart of that day, and then we kind of fought our way back up to ninth after that. Um, so, you know, it was, it was really starting in the morning. I, I think the, the morning warm-up is when we knew we were going to have a better day and finish the week up, you know, hopefully stronger. You know, you, you made brief mention of that restart. I, I guess I, I take a little tangent here real quick and ask you about that as a driver. If I'm reading the lap chart correctly here, it looks like you restarted actually in 11th, um, right behind Justin Wilson and in front of uh, – in front of uh, Jack Hawksworth, so a little bit of the the, the, the issues kind of went on right behind you. Um, what, what was your what was your feeling there as someone who was a little bit further back in the pack? You kind of right in the middle of the accordion, if you will. Uh, what was your opinion on that? Was it what was discussed in the drivers' meeting? Did did something go on at the front of the field? What happened there? Well, obviously the big the big changeup for St. Pete was that we we're not doing double file restarts. So there was obviously a new procedure that was talked about. We were going to do single file. Um, so it was already a mix up. You know, we hadn't done it yet. It was like, all right, we're going to abandon the, the uh, double file restarts and go to single. So but just, just let, let me just interrupt real quick. When, when did you actually find out you, when did the league send notification that you guys were abandoning double file restarts at this race? Uh, I, you know, I don't actually remember exactly. I don't know. I mean, we knew prior to the, prior to the race and, you know, prior to the weekend. Um, and then we normally discuss those things in the driver's meeting during the weekend, and so we'll go over the procedure and what it's going to be, and then, you know, so it's, it's finalized at that point. They tell okay. us what it is, and we, we discuss it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember exactly when it was, though. Okay, but it wasn't um, a last-moment change that they threw on you at the last minute, then? Well, even if it is, you know, there's there's room for discussion of it. I mean, we, we bring it up in a driver's meeting, and you're allowed to discuss what it is. So, you know, if it's changed to that, there's there's not really much you could do if you knew about it four months in advance compared to two days in advance. Very you know, it's uh-huh. the same thing. There's no pre- preparation that you can really do differently for it. So, so, so the, the restart then, what, did you feel it was in accordance with the procedures that were outlined, or was there some a little hanky-panky going on at the front of the field there? <laughs> well, I think, you know, the way we talked about it was that um, – you know, there was a restart zone, but in my opinion, I think there was more confusion than anything because, you know, it was, it was a new procedure. We didn't know about it. Everyone knew what the drill was, but 
there's kind of this, you know, non-understanding of exactly how this procedure should be done. So it can be talked about of, you know, we're going to start on the research cone and the guy can't go before, the leader of the race cannot go before the research cone and he cannot accelerate, um, you know, after the research cone. So, you know, there's there, you can set that stipulation, but no one really understood, I guess, speed of what you're going to do. So I think it just caught a lot of people out that Will was going so slow and, you know, not necessarily, I don't, I don't want to, you know, say he was doing anything wrong. Um, I don't think anyone on the grid really preferred what he did, but, you know, it's kind of hard to say he did anything wrong. It's kind of hard to say, well, did he check everyone up? You know, did he, did he run the speed down a little too low and then maybe bobble on the speed a little bit? It's, it's kind of hard to say. I think, I think it just caught everyone up that it was so slow. That was the biggest thing that happened. So you saw a lot of guys, you know, from third place on back trying to get gaps out of the last corner, which you normally would. You know, everyone's going to try and work a gap. And well, what you just had was basically the normal accordion effect from that, everyone trying to gap out of the last corner with Will going so slow. And then eighth, ninth, tenth place back kind of to me, you know, I was kind of the start of the accordion, and that, that's where it kind of first started. And it just caught everyone up was, was the problem. So, um, you know, that obviously the second restart, no one had an issue because hence, we saw what was going on. Everyone understood, but I think there's going to be a lot of discussion before Long Beach of how exactly we're going to we're going to handle single file restart to make sure that everyone has a little better understanding of it for amongst the drivers. And, and what is your preference? If you were able to write the rules, what, which would you prefer? A single file, as we saw last weekend, or the the double file that we've tried the last couple of years? You know, I don't really mind either way. It, it, it's obviously whatever you do, it's all about just. I should just say compliance with everyone. Everyone's got to really just help each other out. And you're not going to get that from a grid full of open-wheel drivers. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> so the best way to do it is is just have a single-file restart with the guy going out of the last corner. I mean, that's that's probably not the most exciting way to do it, but it's one of the ways that's always been done in open-wheel racing, and it's always successful. You know, you're not going to make up a bunch of positions if you're 15th on the grid. You might get one spot. And you're, you know, you're bunched up to the field again. So it's still an advantage to get a yellow and to bunch everyone up. But, you know, not running double file restarts. When we had double file restarts, you had this, you had this, uh, you had this potential to maybe make up, you know, five or seven spots if you were able to jump the field. So, you know, if it was, if it was up to me, I think, I think the leader should just go out of the last corner and it's going to be a single file restart. Um, and that's normally how it's been done in the past in open world races. But, you know, I'm not the guy really making the rules and, at the end of the day, like I said, I don't really care. You know, if, if whatever people want to see, I'm, I'm okay with it. But you just kind of try and have compliance from everyone, which is hard to do. Right, right. Uh, on a technical standpoint, you're one of the, the Honda drivers who, who got to really try your new engine this weekend. You went from the single turbo that you've run in 2012 and 2013. This weekend, Honda debuted in, in, in an official capacity, I guess, their twin turbo how did the engine feel different to you? How did it respond? Were you pleased with the performance of the the new, or could you really tell that much of a difference this year? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a pretty big difference between the single and the twin. Um, and I, you know, Honda's Honda obviously has done a very good job. They got the full position during the weekend. I think they ran very strong with the race. You know, obviously, Honda Ray looked pretty good at the end of the race compared to Power. Power still, you know, managed it well. But I think overall, performance wise, Honda was pretty level with, with Chevy, which was really cool to see. So that, that's very encouraging. Um, and I think they, they put a lot of hard work in over the winter. I mean, all the teams, you know, in compliance with Honda, 
have put in tons of work on this new twin turbo because the big difference for it is drivability. And last year and, and even in 2012, we had a we had a very drivable engine package. Because it was a single turbo, you actually were, were able to make the car very drivable, and that's the way the throttle is applied and how much traction you're, you're able to get out of the engine and how smoothly you can deliver the power band. And, and the, the single turbo was really good for that. It was just very, very drivable. And immediately, the big difference between the twin and when, when Honda went to a twin was that he noticed it wasn't as drivable. It was really hard to put the power down. It was hard to smoothly use the power band. And, you know, made similar power and, and maybe a little bit more, but it was just difficult to, to drive. So um, that was where all the work went in over the off-season, and they made big, big strides from it. I mean, it was very, very drivable in St. Pete, and, you know, I think we've definitely got a, an edge on Chevy with that because Honda's just, just so good at it. They're, they're very good at working with teams on that. Now, with the addition of, of Andretti Autosport into the Honda camp, do you guys do any work at all together? Is there kind of a Honda powwow, kind of any sharing of data between Honda teams, at least with engine uh, information? Or are you guys really kind of isolated and separate from each other? Uh, we're pretty pretty isolated, really. Um, you know, obviously everyone has the same goal when they're on a Honda engine. And really, Honda has the same goal with all their teams. They want all their teams to be successful. They want as many teams up at the front as they can. That's important for Honda. They're, they're looking at you know championship points from a, from a manufacturer's standpoint. So they obviously want everyone to do well, and they gather everything from all the teams and try to advance as much as they can using everyone's data. I mean that's that's how it works. But you know between teams, no one really necessarily works together. Everyone's obviously isolated. You've got different groups, and they all go their own path really. But we're all pushing Honda in, in a in a similar direction most of the time. Now, to my understanding, I don't believe you have done any uh, testing with this engine package on an oval. Uh, is, is that correct? Have you done any oval testing with this? No, I haven't. Not yet. No. What, what are your expectations when when the uh, when the series turns to the ovals? You know, starting in Indianapolis in May and then moving on to Iowa and Pocono and Milwaukee and and, and on down the line. I'm hoping it's going to have mega top end. <laughs> that's, my, <laughs> that's my hopes. I think. Um, I you know I don't know. I've I've you know I've talked to other guys and um, other Honda Camp guys, and you know everyone's really optimistic right now. I think we're we're looking you know in a, in a very good position. It's always hard to tell. I mean, you never really know until you get really everyone on track. So before everyone really hits the track in Indianapolis for for testing, no one's going to know where everyone stacks up. But I think judging off the of St. Pete, we look pretty good, and you know, hopefully that can translate into oval configuration performance, which which I think it will. I think we'll be good, but it's it's always just hard to tell. But I'm hoping we're going to be fine. Well, of course, before we go to Indianapolis in May, we go to Long Beach this weekend. Uh, that's a place you've had. Let's see, two years ago you had a, a front row start. Unfortunately, it didn't last very long. Uh, you had a, a little tangle in the first turn with, with Dario Franchitti. Last year you you were running well until some pit issues um, kind of put you back in the field again. What are you guys expecting going into Long Beach this year? Well, I think we're going to be good at Long Beach. You know, with St. Pete, um, I don't think showed what we had worked on over the off season. You know, we we encountered a lot of issues and. Really, St. Pete's a very different place than a, lot, than a lot of the other street courses we go to, and most of the package stuff that you work on and most of the performance stuff doesn't work as well around St. Pete just because of its characteristics. So uh, I feel strong about it. I actually think we're going to be really good in Long Beach. You know, <laughs> I 
Again, you never really know. Maybe we show up and we're junk, but um, <laughs> I think we're going to be strong. You know, looking at everything that we did over the off season, all the testing that we did, I think it's going to translate well to a, to a track like Long Beach. But you know, we'll have to see if it, if it doesn't. Then we're just going to have to do a lot of work during the weekend and, and try and slow it out. Now, when you come from a place like St. Pete to Long Beach, where they're both street courses, there are some similar characteristics. You have two long straightaways. You have uh, a hairpin turn and a lot of very tight technical uh, portions. Is there anything from St. Pete that you can that you can carry over to Long Beach? Yeah, there 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 is some characteristics that you can take. Um, you know, the car is actually it is very very different. So, like I was saying, they're they're really two different packages. I think between those two tracks, it's, they're just so different. But you know, the way the car delivers the power, you can you can definitely translate that to Long Beach. So if your car doesn't put down power very well, if it doesn't have good traction, then that can be a sign of, you know, you need to work on that at Long Beach because that's actually one of the things you do need at Long Beach is good traction. So I think that's probably a crossover that you can have. But as far as the overall performance, they're, they're definitely different tracks. So it's, it's hard to say, you know, what's um, – what's going to be working at Long Beach compared to St. Pete because you really change it so much between those two tracks. Mm-hmm. All right, so let us let me put you on the spot here a little bit, and then we'll, we'll take the number 67 out of the hat here. Who is Joseph Newgarden like in a fantasy pick for this weekend? Oh, um, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, you know, I'd have to think about it, but... I, I truly believe if if I was a good guessing man, um, I think St. Pete is, again is not a good reflection of Ganassi. Um, I, I think Ganassi will be extremely strong at at Long Beach, um, much more than they were at St. Petersburg. You know, they were they were good at St. Pete. I think they they showed performance. I think Briscoe was very good. Canon looked quick in qualifying, but he wasn't very good in the race. Um, Dixon didn't look particularly strong, but but I think that they will be extremely strong in Long Beach. So if I was a betting man and if I, you know, was going to look at it from an outside perspective, I think you can expect Ganassi to be extremely strong at, at Long Beach. And they certainly have a good history of, of, of running well at Long Beach as well. I guess finally, let me wrap up. I think it was about a year ago at Long Beach that, that you debuted your, what, 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 did, what did you call it, Mr. Anonymous, Mr. Incognito, your YouTube videos? Is that uh, what I recall a year or so ago at, at Long Beach? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I guess we did. Um, yeah, we did this, these video. A couple. We did a couple videos called. Uh, it, it was Joseph Newgarden Incognito. There you go. Uh-huh. And yeah, it was. It was just about you know. No one knew who I was. I still don't think anyone knows who I am. But um, obviously, no one knew who I was in my first year and a couple races in. And so we kind of messed with people on that and, and played uh, played to our advantage. Well, do you have any any other uh, social media? Um platforms that are coming along that you uh that you want to talk about or anything anything down those lines that you that got in the works uh you know i have a million ideas that, that i'd love to do and it's always just a case of, of making it happen um i have one idea in particular that i'd i'd really like to pull off this year in indianapolis i don't know if it's going to happen i mean honestly i've been i've been very focused on just on just trying to you know make the most out of our our, our racing performance um you know not that i haven't in the past but you know, to to me, it, it's just it's so important this year that we we try and nail it down. We weren't quick enough last year, so um, you know we've been working really really hard this off season to try and understand the performance of the car and get the most out of it. So 
the, the video ideas and everything in that, I just haven't put any time into, but I, I have tons of ideas, and there's one idea that I do want to try and pull off at Indy this year. Not sure if it's going to happen, but if anything's going to be made this year, it'll be that one for sure. So hopefully I'll have something to put out later. Well, very well. Well, we'll certainly look forward. We loved the videos last year. We'll look forward to anything you do this year. Joseph Newgarn, driver of the number 67 for Sarah Fisher Hartman Racing. We certainly, again, thank you for joining us tonight, and we look forward to seeing you at the track down the road. Sounds great. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks so much, Joseph. Always great to hear from Joseph Newgarden, and uh, very happy to have him back on the podcast. Interesting to hear him pick a Ganassi car to do well this weekend. I can't – when was the last time a Ganassi car won at Long Beach, actually? Wasn't it about five years ago? Are you putting me on the spot here? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I, I don't – you're the stats guy. I don't keep these things top of mind. But I've got Sato last year. Power in 2012, Conway in 2011. Wasn't it Ryan Hunter Ray in 2010? I believe. Why don't I just go and check the uh, the more front wing event summary? Well, you know what? Because we've got these all. I'm already there. Oh well, aren't you just so fast? It's it so just, easy to get to them I... now that they're all nicely sorted <laughs> by year on the on the menu system there. Who who we got? Who's, uh, who won in 2010? I'm looking. I'm looking. 2000. Let's see. 2010. You said you were Ryan there Hunter already. Ray. Ryan Hunter Ray. Uh huh. Yeah. And then and so Dario won the first uh, IndyCar-sanctioned race there in 09. So there you go, five years. Hmm. I don't, well, you know, I'm not going to question an IndyCar's driver, uh, IndyCar driver's judgment of other IndyCar drivers, but uh, I don't know that that would match my pick. But we'll get there. We'll discuss that later on. Also, uh, interesting to hear Joseph talk about the the Honda engines and how things are going with that transition. I'll tell you, the timesheets from St. Petersburg sure did look good for Honda in terms of um, keeping sort of they they always seem staggered. Honda Chevy, Honda Chevy, which is not at all what people were expecting coming coming into this year. So strong outing from that from them at the beginning, and um, they were pretty happy to go with the pole as well. Yeah, quite a change from 2013 when. When uh, Chip Ganassi kind of ripped them up one side and down the other about how <laughs> I forget what what was this term he used that they, they just weren't concerned about winning or something along those lines and mm-hmm. yeah it uh, quite the change this year that's for sure yeah absolutely good to see them out of the gate strong and be very interesting to see how that carries on as we get into uh, the road courses and the ovals where uh, where we should see some uh, some even bigger changes and I think they get to do. Um, a re-release right before Indianapolis, don't they? So, it, very interesting to see how that pans out. How about this um, this penalty that Sebastian Bourdais took for not packing up? That one was interesting. Did you did you follow that very well, Paul? I don't know that I did. I, I, I now that you mention it, I do remember something of that, but I don't remember the specifics of it. So, from what I gather, and I'm not sure I completely followed it perfectly either but what i gather is that bourdais was sort of slowly making his way around while the pits were closed uh and he wasn't packing up with the rest of the pack because he was trying to conserve fuel and so he wasn't he didn't want to push to get up to the to the end of the pack he wanted to sort of ease his way up there and then this penalty came out of nowhere and he got a drive-through for it and he was that Absolutely livid because, I mean, it's a bit strange for a driver not to have the right to to conserve fuel under a yellow if he wants to, right? But apparently this is a new precedent that IndyCar wants to set this year. And <laughs> I, I have never heard of a penalty the way for it that. Is. I bet you won't do it again. 
No, I, I no, I, I don't know that I've ever heard of a penalty like yeah. that before. Yeah, that's. What's the other one that that um? It happened in NASCAR a few oh, years ago, didn't it? No, I I was trying to think of the other penalty, the, the weird penalty this weekend. Um, Pagano in one of the practice sessions got a got a fine for running the checkered. Yeah, yeah. What was that? He just went a lap long. Yeah, he just didn't pit when he was supposed to pit and ended up having to do another lap, and they fined him. <laughs> what was it, like $1,000 or something? I didn't – that part of the transmission got cut off. I was just listening on the radio, but it was it was like a slap on the wrist. It was nothing. Yeah. But it's just – it's funny, these things that you hear when you're on the ground that you don't necessarily hear <laughs> otherwise because that, that was a new one for me. Well, that one actually made it into the, the trackside report, I think. Okay. Yeah. I do recall seeing it there now that you mention it. So um, not to not to talk about Norris too much again, um, but it gives a nice framing for why I was keeping an eye on this, because one of the things that, that Norris asked me to keep an eye on specifically while I was down in St. Pete was he said, tell me how Montoya is doing, because it used to be that back in in the cart days, Montoya was was a very happy go lucky guy. He He was. You know, he was a strong racer, but he always seemed pretty happy with what he was doing. But then he went to Formula One, and after a couple of years, do you like my Norris impression? That's very good. Yes, very good. Thank you. And after a couple of years, he really just seemed to be over it, and he didn't he didn't seem that into it anymore. And then he went to NASCAR, and he was really unhappy, and he was a jerk to everyone. And I just want to know how he's doing now that he's back in IndyCar. How does he feel about his life? Is he is he happy? Is he how? And so. Here are my observations. Did you ask him that question directly? No. No, I, I was very covert. Juan, are you happy? Yeah. How's <laughs> well, your I life? Did, but you know what? I didn't need to because it was very obvious. He's He was a different – I mean, I didn't spend any time in a NASCAR paddock, granted, while he was in NASCAR. But you just – from from the media interactions that you see and you hear about, you get an impression about about someone, right? That was not the Montoya that showed up this past weekend. He may not have shown up and, and lit up the timesheets, but he showed up and he was a pretty happy guy. Well, happy-go-lucky? Yeah, well, not happy-go-lucky. He wasn't skipping and, and singing tra-la-la, but he was he, he was happy. He seemed <laughs> genuinely to be – he was out of the circus a little bit compared to what he's used to. Um, he was a lot more relaxed. He was palling around with people in the paddock. He was He was smiling every time I saw him which is not the Juan Montoya that you're used to hearing about these days. And so I found that really interesting. It's, it's um, intriguing to see him relax and, and genuinely seem to be enjoying his job again, which uh, is nice for him, I'm sure. So He's a different driver, a little more mature now than he was. How old was he when he came to cart? I wanted to say the 24-ish. Well, he's 38 now. So, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, so, you know, you kind of had that childish... Uh, I don't want to say immaturity, but you've got a little bit of a, uh, oh, I don't know. You call it a sense of invincibility maybe a little bit. You drive a little harder. You have a little bit more fun. You, uh, you know, play games that you don't necessarily play when you're, you know, going through the age that maybe you and I are these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Thanks for bringing that up. I, I didn't mention specific <laughs> ages. I put us in a category together. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you, you kind of go through that time. He got married, uh, you know, try, starts a family. Um, 
And and now he's he's back doing what I think he always loved doing. That's racing open wheel cars. I think, you know, he did the NASCAR thing. I think he went there, um, probably with higher expectations, maybe than were realistic. I think he came in with the attitude. I, I walked into Cart. I won. I walked into the Indianapolis 500. I won. I went to Formula One. I had success. I'll go to NASCAR, and I'm going to do the same thing. And as the years, what was he there? Six years, seven years. As the years yeah. went by, and he only had two wins, both at the road courses. Um, I'm sure it drug on him. Mm-hmm. He's a little more gray now. He's a, <laughs> he, <laughs> the pictures I've seen. He's he's definitely showing a little gray in his hair. Um, but he, yeah. he looks good. He looks yeah. like he, he's, he's lost some weight in the last, what, call it six, eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he just looks like he's happy. I don't think he was probably very pleased and happy with his performance over the weekend, but I think getting back into the, the IndyCar lifestyle, I think is probably a little bit more his bread and butter and something that, that brings him a little more happiness than, than the weekend week out thrash of the NASCAR season. That was definitely the impression that I got as well. And, yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up with the schedule being roughly half the number of weekends that NASCAR is. I'm sure that that's a little bit more relaxing for him as well. Um, So I guess we can wrap up our discussion of St. Petersburg just by sort of me going over some of the things that I observed over the weekend. Um, Certainly the weather was nicer than it has been at times in the past, notwithstanding the, uh, the rained out. Uh, Indy Lights qualifying on Saturday and, and the uh, the adjusted schedule. At least it wasn't on Sunday. Yes, people blamed me a lot because the last time I was there was 2010, the year that everything got rained out and everybody had to stay until Monday and that wasn't so great. And it was another one of those, everybody go hide in the parking garage and in the theater and, <laughs> and oh, there's lightning and tornadoes and oh my gosh, but everything worked out okay and all the racing got in. I swear to you, the podium for the USF 2000, no, for, sorry, the Pro Mazda race at the end of Saturday was was being held as the sun was setting below the horizon. <laughs> they could not possibly have gotten another minute in if they wanted to, but um, it all worked out in the end, and it was a really good weekend. The sa- Sunday was perfect. It was always a really nice breeze off the ocean. It was never too hot, um, and uh, I soaked it all in because it's probably the last of the race weekends that we're going to have this year that's going to be that pleasant. I'm thinking ahead to, for example, Houston, but let's not get too, too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I think we'll send John to that one, eh? <laughs> nice A, yeah. Anyway, no, I'm, I got to remind people that I'm Canadian sometimes. I'm, I'm expecting very good weather this weekend. Yeah, you probably. I, I, no, I, I, I bring the nice weather with me. Yeah, well, no, actually, I think you should probably tell some people that you'll take some home in yeah. your suitcase and maybe you'll make some friends. Los Angeles is always perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, it was, it was just a really nice, uh, really laid back weekend good way to start the season um it's almost it always feels a little bit like um coming back after after summer holidays first day of school doesn't it a little, yeah it does uh-huh you start to see everybody and you go hey how you doing how, how's it been the last six months and you know nice to to have that that paddock camaraderie and that sort of thing well what was it, you know, let me ask you what was the buzz like down there because i don't know if it was maybe just the fact that it was an abc weekend espn race weekend so you didn't get the the qualifying show the day before but it just seemed that maybe there wasn't quite the buzz came through on the broadcast and maybe we'll talk about the broadcast later um but 
or maybe it's just that I wasn't there and I'm used to being there the last several years. Um, but did the race weekend, did you feel like it had that great buzz and anticipation of the new year this year? I did. And it's interesting that you should point out that you didn't feel that way because I definitely did feel that the place was more or less sold out. Um, I don't think there was much left in, in the way of grandstand seats. It was busy. People were happy. Even when it was pouring down rain, people were buying beer and carousing and having a great old time. So, um, no, it had the, the usual anticipatory St. Pete vibe that I, that I expected. Uh, and I, and I didn't find it any different in that, that regard. So yeah. it, it is a shame that it didn't come across, but definitely it was there. Um, just a couple of sort of, interesting side notes that I thought to mention while I'm while I'm chatting about what happened to me during the weekend. I spent a lot of time, as it turns out, standing somewhere that I wasn't supposed to be standing. If you ever have an opportunity to to spend a weekend in an IndyCar race and, and make good friends with a couple of the of the volunteer track marshals, sometimes sometimes you might get lucky and get to hang out in places where you really shouldn't be for a little longer than you should get to. Um, and so I, I I spent a fair amount of time at pit exit actually, um, right where the new pit exit light was installed, mm-hmm. and um, one of the first things that I noticed during the race is that the, the whole point of the pit exit light, which is a, a cue that they picked up from Formula One, right, to let you know, to let drivers know as they exit pit lane that there's, there's incoming traffic and they need to watch their merge to make sure that it's safe. I swear, with only a handful of exceptions, every time somebody left the pits and saw that that pit exit light was flashing, they hit the gas even harder <laughs> because they were trying to get out ahead of that pack that they knew was coming. <laughs> So and and uh, we laugh, but it's actually it's something that they need to look at because I don't think it's quite serving the purpose that they intended. <laughs> like was um, that Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop or something? The uh, yellow light means go really fast. Or something. <laughs> I forget yeah, what movie, essentially what movie that was from. But, yeah. I don't either, but that's that's pretty well the, what the the uh, reality of that was. So um. It was really funny because I was standing there at pit exit and uh, I was right up next to the track. Like, I really, I don't know how I got in there. I really shouldn't have been there. And uh, I stood there for about half the race. And um, this is this is a completely apropos to nothing anecdote of the story. But, um, and I was standing there watching guys come out and you could like, just feel your whole body body vibrate as they were exiting the pits. And as I was standing there at one point, Mike Conway went by and he flung, it just the, the way that the tire spun, it flicked um, a pebble right into my face. <laughs> and I thought to myself, it was right above my lip. And I've actually still got a little bit of a bruise there. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, I'm sure I'm hosing blood. I'm going to have to go to medical or something. Because oh. I, I thought, like, there's no way that, that I'm not injured from this. I'm going to get in so much trouble. And so I started start, sort of dabbing my face and there was nothing there and I thought oh thank goodness I, I thought for sure I was I was going to get bit by that one so then I kind of sort of pulled the whistling moving backing up a little maybe I should stand a few feet back from the fence now there's going to be three more pages of life signatures to, you know, signing your life away now to get credentialed for everyone now because Steph was in the wrong place at the wrong time I was fine everything was fine I learned my lesson don't stand too close to the fence when you're at pit out kids but do try to get there because it's lots of fun. Actually, don't tell anybody I told you to do that. We'll keep that a um, little secret. Yeah, exactly. Us and all the, the 
uh, six people who listen to our <laughs> podcast. No, it's a, little, a few more than six, and we're very grateful to every one of you because if, uh, we wouldn't get to have any of this fun if it wasn't for all you guys paying attention to what we do. So we're very, very, very grateful for that. Hey, you mentioned the broadcast, so let's cover that before we move on to Long Beach because that is worth mentioning. Um, I I didn't get to hear the whole thing, obviously, because I was busy getting hit in the face by rocks from my <laughs> my Conway, um, but I did have to go inside to charge my phone for a little while, and I was inside for maybe half an hour, right? right up until about the last five laps of the race then I found that the broadcast was a lot better a lot better I thought that um Ellen Bestwick really seemed to bring out the best in Scott Goodyear in particular I found that he was a lot more animated um and that I mean we've, we've said before that we that Goodyear and Cheever sort of great on each other in a in a bad way that's a good way you know <laughs> and there was a little bit of that working as well and I just I thought the whole thing seemed to gel a lot better than it has in the past and uh, there were some people that seemed to be a little bit more critical but but my impression of the short amount of time that I heard was that I felt like it was conveying what was happening on track a lot better than what we're used to I think so I liked I personally liked Alan Bestwick's delivery. He seemed like he was engaging and excited and interested and was able to do that with being, without being over the top. Like, and did his homework. Yes, yes. He knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, he seemed as if he had been there for years. He knew knew the drivers well, knew the, the history, knew their stories very well, and was able to convey that. But at the same time, I didn't feel like he was trying to oversell it, as I believe some of the others had previous to him. And it's very much in the same way that Lee Diffie does. Convey excitement, but be restrained in that and let the story kind of tell themselves at points and let the excitement sell itself. I, I thought it was very, very well done, very well produced. Still don't know that I'm a big Scott Goodyear fan that, you know, he's still just a little bit dry, I guess, um, and, and Cheever doesn't seem to be quite as uh, what, opinionated or, or brash as he was maybe three, two or three years ago, uh, but I think it was a very good start, and I think that as this team moves forward, I think they'll continue to do uh, better, and by the time, I think Indianapolis will be a, a much improved product. I think some people would uh, call you to question on whether Lee Diffie does a good job of not overselling. I think sometimes he can be a little bit more animated than than some people would like. I quite like Lee Diffie, um, but I know that that's one criticism that some fans have had of him is that they feel like he's a little bit more animated than he needs to be. At he time. is animated, but I don't. I, I feel like he's animated in the moment. I feel like it's a natural excitement that he mm-hmm. exudes. I don't think he's. He doesn't come across as a a fake or forced excitement to me. As I said, I like Lee Diffie, so you're like. I'm the wrong person to argue with about it, but if somebody else wants to take Paul up on that, that that could be interesting. Maybe uh, we'll bring somebody on to have an argument with you about that at some point because it gets boring hearing me argue with you about everything all the time. I'm sure. Thanks, Steph. So yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like to take care of you. So are we uh, are we done with St. Pete? Can we put a bow on it? I and think move we can on? put it to bed. Yeah. All right. Let's get to so my weekend. That's right. Paul is heading down. When are you leaving? I leave Thursday morning. Oh, how nice for you. Mm-hmm. Heading down to uh, lovely Los Angeles for the um, Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach. It's the 40th. Is it the 40th running or the 40th anniversary? It would be the 40th running, 40th I running. think. Uh-huh. Yeah, so um, make sure you get to that big um, exhibit that they're doing. 
and take lots of photos for us, for those of us who can't be there, because mm-hmm. uh, they've got a great big display. I think they're doing – it's going to have a signboard for every running um, with a history of, of who won and what happened in the race and what the cars were like and blah, blah, blah. And there's going to be a whole bunch of um, different historical cars from from important moments in Long Beach history on display and uh, opportunities to get autographs from Mario Andretti, Alancer Jr. and Dan Gurney, I believe. And all that information is available on morefrontway.com. So if you're heading down and you're looking for the times and that sort of thing, you can check it out on the site before you go. What else are you looking for coming into your very first ever Long Beach? I'm, just, I'm looking to just take it all in. Um, you know, never mind the fact it's four days in Southern California. Uh, there's just so much history to this race. As we said, 40 years, that's a long time. Uh, I, th- I think that's by far the longest uh, IndyCar event outside of Indianapolis, um, and, and by orders of magnitude, the longest street race in the country. Um, you know, I, I want to see some of these areas that, that I've seen on TV for so many years, the hairpin, the back straight, the ocean, the, uh, is it Oceanside, Ocean, Oceanfront Boulevard? Whatever it is, Seaside. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. What is that street called? Uh, uh, Shoreline? Shoreline. Shoreline. There Shoreline. We go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of the one in Toronto. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah. That's so see cool. all of these races, these, uh, these, these locations and everything that I've just seen for so long. Hmm. Um, just the event overall and, and, and what a wonderful run event and how well it's embraced by the city. Um, Make the time while you're down there to get to the outside of the track and walk from the hairpin all the way to the fountain at, at some point during the day when it's in the middle of the day and things are kind of busy. I didn't do that walk until I had been a couple times and I didn't realize everything that's out there. That's where so much of the of the activity is happening in that sort of back part of the track where you don't get to as easily if you're just focused on getting from the media center to the pit lane and back. So make sure you take the time to, to do that walk. That would be on the grandstand side, sort of be, between shoreline and the uh, the bay there? Right. Okay. Yeah. Make sure you take the time to, to spend probably a half an hour walking down that strip when there's track activity and just take it all in because there's a lot going on down there. And you'll have moments where you go, oh, my gosh, it's the fountain. Oh, my gosh, it's the, you know, and it'll just go on and on all weekend long. It's uh, it's pretty amazing when you get there and, and how compact everything is too no, see, that's what i was going to ask you is, is it a long walk from the hairpin all the way down there because it seems the like hairpin, yeah from the hairpin to the fountain is the longest walk you'll do all weekend okay now how would that compare to uh i don't know let's, let's say toronto from turn three down to turn or i'm sorry turn two down to turn three similar very similar, very uh, similar. yeah that's one of the things i as somebody who didn't grow up on the, at the street course events, in fact, my first one was uh, in Toronto in 2010. I've been to a handful since then. I was very surprised by how compact most of these these uh, courses are. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Pete was only is, is 1.8 miles. Uh, Long Beach isn't much bigger. It's uh, a bit bigger than St. Pete. Okay. Long Beach is a bit bigger than St. Pete. I'd say it's comparable comparable to Toronto. Yeah, Which is a bit bigger than St. Pete. Yeah, Toronto's a very walkable track. Uh, official length of Long Beach is 1.968, so it's a tenth of a mile or so longer than, than St. Pete, just a hair longer than Toronto as well. Uh, so that's kind of what my barometers are. I, but I was just very surprised by how, you know, you, you see them on TV and some of these straights look very long, but when you get there in person, they actually are very walkable. They're very fan-friendly 
events. And, and the more of these I've been to, the more I understand the allure of of the I hate to say the party atmosphere, um, but the the fan friendliness of these events and how accessible they are. Different areas of the track. Uh, going from the pit to even the farthest out locations are, are is very easy to do. Um, and then when I think of somewhere like uh, like California last year at uh, at Fontana, I remember making that walk from pit lane out to the grandstands, and it takes an eternity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you think an oval, oh well, that's very fan friendly. What's wrong with me? Very <laughs> fan friendly. Uh, you know, it's a, a purpose built facility. Everything must be very easy for the fans. In that case, I can tell you it's not. It's a 20 to 25 minute hike to go from the pits to the grandstands. Um, something I never experienced at any of these street course events. And that that's something I've learned to really appreciate over the last couple of years as I've taken in more of these events and, and something that I really do appreciate and enjoy about these types of events. And I, I look forward to experiencing that with Long Beach as well. So you've been to St. Pete, you've been to Toronto. Have you been to any other street courses? No. You ain't seen nothing until you've been to Long Beach. <laughs> it's been nothing. on my bucket list for, for years, so I cannot wait. I cannot wait for you to get back and talk to you next week and, and hear you wax on about how it's even. <laughs> and, and I don't want to say that and spoil your expectations, but I know that I won't because you really, like, you just have no idea. Long Beach is Long Beach. So it would be interesting to hear you get back and, uh, and see what you think of it. I look forward to it. How about we talk about the actual racing at Long Beach? Should we do that? I don't know. Is this a racing podcast? Yeah, but usually the racing isn't all that, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe we should stick to the uh, – to be fair, the last couple of years have been pretty decent. Um, yeah, that's true. You know, better than they were kind of in the, the last Delara generation years. And it seems to be pretty good at um, at producing spoiler winners the last little while. Yes, Weird things tend to happen. Uh, was it the year Conway won that, that Power was kind of running away with it, and then all of a sudden he had that gearbox issue or something where he just didn't start on a restart, and then after that it oh, may have broke loose, and it, it, the last half of the race was extremely exciting. It seemed like that was two years ago. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that that was when that happened. And last um, year no one expected Sato to, to, to win that race last year. No, exactly. Um and there are some people who seem to want to do their best to make a big deal of the fact that Montoya won this race in 1999. Do you really want to put any stock in that? Zero. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, not at all. No, exactly. So, um, But what wouldn't surprise me in the least is to see Power land and just absolutely trounce the field um, and uh, use that as a launching pad into making this his year because uh, he has a history of winning at this place, and uh, he seems to be on a roll. So wouldn't be the least bit surprised. So I'll make him my pick for the win this, this weekend. Who have you got? Way to really go out on a limb there. Yeah, well, you know. Come on. You can do better than that. Come on. What? Fine. No, I'm not going to change my pick just because you're taunting me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you go out on a limb. Who you got? Who, who do I got? Um, I didn't know we were picking yet. Hold on, let me, uh, you know what, I like Don't Dixon. make me sing the Jeopardy song at you. Dixon, really? No, 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 no. actually, um, let me think about this. I want to hear you sing the Jeopardy song. 
Why Dixon? Yeah, no, I do. I like Dixon. I think he was strong at, at St. Pete where he's not normally strong. I think the Chevrolet engine's still strong. I'm pretty, I was surprised to see him as strong as he was because, um, I mean, not that you ever put too much stock in, in practice times or anything, but I'll tell you that car was a part, it was Humpty Dumpty on pit lane, that car. Um, and it really was, he was another one of those ones that just really didn't seem to end up happy with what he had until race time. So, um, it, it was pretty cool that he managed to get that up to fourth. And that just, I mean, it, it shouldn't surprise you when you think about who we're talking about, right? But, uh, Definitely, in the hands of a lesser driver, that that car might not have um, have been in the in the finishing position that it was. So, uh, that being said, is is it really that much going out on a limb to pick Dixon to win anything? You have well, a hard time about picking power. I know, but Dixon doesn't traditionally have very good luck here. He it no. seems like he's usually fighting off some gremlins. Didn't he get hit by somebody last year going into I don't know what turn it was coming? Back yeah. opposite shoreline, whichever turn that was. You'll know by years. the end of this weekend. I think it was um, in the complex that goes around the back of the convention center. Like could, yeah, it could be. Uh-huh. Turn 8 or something like that. I don't that know. That's off the top of my head. And a couple of years ago, he got taken out under yellow, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his, his luck just isn't very good. If he can avoid everyone else's mistakes, I don't know. I, I just feel like he's still he's still on the roll. Well, I would highly recommend that he do so if he wants to keep Power from from launching into an early lead, although that hasn't stopped Power from losing the championship before. So (laughs) maybe we don't need to get too excited about that just yet. (laughs) This is true. So um, I think that that's pretty well everything we need to cover. We can just do the Church Bulletin uh, rundown of of last-minute news before we call things a day. Um, We already mentioned the event summary, which will go live today as of when you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to it promptly, which will have all the usual good stuff. We're also, um, on top of all the the, uh, session times and statistics and everything we usually track, we're also tracking entrant points this year um, to mostly keep an eye on that, uh, that Carpenter Conway entry and see how it does in the entry points compared to all the others but of course with all the uh, potential point losses with those engine penalties this year as well it could be uh, very interesting to keep an eye on that and um we mentioned we're going to keep an eye on that pit performance award and add that to our event summary as well so that we can see how those teams fare in that award as the year goes on. So it should be very interesting. And you can always find our latest event summary at morefrontwing.com slash event summary. Um, now, one other thing I want to bring up before we go is um, we have brought on for this season a whole bunch of new drivers to uh, blog for us from the Mazda Road to Indy. We've got Lloyd Reed from... Um, from Indy Lights and Paul, you're going to have the Indy Lights under your watch at Long Beach, so uh, we'll need you to keep an eye on that series and on Lloyd as uh, as things carry on there. I think that's the only one of the of the road to Indy that you that you've got at uh, at Long Beach. The rest of them get back into action at Barber. But we also have Shelby Blackstock and Garrett Grist from Andretti Autosport at the Pro Mazda level uh, writing for us this year, as well as Aaron Tielitz and um, our old favorite Dan Burkett, who is uh, the only one who's carrying over for us from last year. And those last two drivers are running in USF 2000. Some really fantastic quality content and some insightful stuff that these drivers have provided for us so far. And we've still got a couple more from this first round to come um, before we get to Long Beach. So keep an eye on morefrontwing.com. 
And you can use those top uh, navigating buttons in the menu to, to drop down and find the bloggers at each level and uh, find the posts that way so that you don't have to sort down that whole big list at the bottom of the front page. It makes it a lot easier to find. And we hope that you'll check these young guys out because uh, some really promising young talent telling some really great stories and uh, showing some onboard video of um, some of their, their action from the weekend. And uh, they're very interested and very keen and very involved in what they're doing. And uh, it'd be great to have your support as they carry on in that. Did I miss anything? Can we go? I think you covered everything. Cool. All right. Well, let's uh, let's call it a day then, and uh, safe travels down to Long Beach. We'll all definitely be keeping an eye on you and uh, looking for your impressions from of things down there, and we'll be, at, be back next week to wrap it all up. Sounds great. Okay, fantastic. And in the meantime, as always, if you need IndyCar news and views, get a grip with more Front Wing. <laughs>